city spent so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its years. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. Today's guest is one of my favorite people to talk to because he's seen so much through the game as both a player and a coach. More important, he's such a nice guy and someone who provides instant credibility and stability wherever he is, which is so important when we think about sharing and building the game of soccer. I'm happy to welcome my favorite Northern Ireland international, Bill Irwin. Thanks, Bill. I'm really happy to be on after listening to several of your broad- or podcasts. It's great to follow um, all the people before me, you know, it's, it, I learned a lot from listening to those guys about them that I didn't know before, which was crazy, I suppose. But do you feel, you me. yeah, do you feel pressure to, to say something then that they didn't know about you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. It just happens. So I'll read a, I've got a longer bio that I'll read. Um, and then we'll get into some questions if that's good. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Bill was born in Newtonards, Ireland. Sorry, Newtonards, Northern Ireland in 1951. He played for Bangor FC and was an amateur Northern Ireland international as a teenager. From 1971 to 1978, Bill played in goal for Cardiff City FC, a stint that saw him play 180 matches. While with the Bluebirds, Irwin made the 1991-1972 save of the season, awarded by the BBC for his FA Cup match save against Leeds. He also won three Welsh Cups there and shared Ninian Park with future Timbers teammates Willie Anderson and Clive Charles. In 1978, Irwin moved to the U.S. to play for NASL side Washington Diplomats. Bill played three seasons for the Diplomats, one for the Dallas Tornado, before playing in the final Portland Timbers NASL season in 1982. After Portland, Bill played outdoors uh, and indoors for the San Jose Earthquake predecessors Golden Bay Earthquakes. After a brief five-match stint with Belfast Crusaders Football Club, Bill returned to the U.S. for good, this time having a short indoor career with stops in Minnesota and Wichita before moving back to Portland, where he's been ever since. While pursuing a potential career in education, Bill's clandestine visit with former Bluebird and Timbers teammate Clive Charles changed his trajectory and, I would argue, the path of so many others. As Bill started coaching with Clive at the University of Portland, a career that saw Bill train future professional goalkeepers Scott Howman. Stuart Dobson, Luis Robles, and among many others, U.S. Soccer National Hall of Famer Casey Keller. Bill was an assistant at the University of Portland from 1987 to 2003, which included the Pilots' first national championship in 2002 with the women. He was the head coach from 2003 to 2015, and he's currently on the coaching staff at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, where he coaches with the University of Portland Hall of Famer Jim Tercy. Over the years, Bill has been also been active in starting and coaching at FC Portland Academy. In addition to Bill's career coaching in Portland, he also coached goalkeepers for U.S. soccer and was the head coach of U.S. soccer's U23 women's side, where he coached the Americans to -to back-to-back Nordic Cups in 2007 and 2008. Bill is still involved in U.S. soccer as a talent scout. Here at Green at the Color, it doesn't get much bigger than the man affectionately referred to by his players as Biggin. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Billy. Whoa, there was a lot... 
a lot there I didn't re remember or realize. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's and it's you know I mean I feel like I could do an episode on your coaching or I could do an episode on your playing. Um, and even with coaching, I could we could talk about just you know FC Portland um, or work with the national team or work with the University of Portland. There's quite a range. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been lucky and privileged, you know, to to do all that, and uh, I'm just one lucky person. Well, I'm yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate you, Bill. Um, this is great. Um, so th there's a lot I want to ask you, but I, I do sort of want to go back to I've talked to you about previous conversations when I interviewed you for the shootout, or we talked about the essays um, about Clive. But something sticks to me that that I can't believe in the context of the long paragraph I just read, until the age of 11, you were on track to be an electrician, right? Well, you know, growing up, you know, all, all most of us young kids, I suppose, and listening to Willie Anderson and Mick and, you know, all the other ones that have been on, you know, what we wanted to do, I think, was to be a professional footballer, you know? And, um, you know, but the the education system back, back then was a little different where you, 11 you had to take the 11 plus and that determined where you were going to be a lawyer doctor whatever well i had the opportunity to take it twice and failed it twice <laughs> so so i went to like a an, an intermediate school which was fine with me because they had soccer and, and, and or football as we call it back there so i i and that was me destined to be like a, a tradesman or something like that so but overall, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a professional footballer. And so how I'm curious, because you, you coach college, you have a very long college career, probably longer than most of our uh, listeners have been alive. Does that perspective ever like align with something you're, you know, you're talking with 18, 19 year olds about their life decisions? Or is it just so different now for someone in the U.S. Um, going through college than it was back then? I, th I think it's it's different now that you know the game has changed you know there's more opportunities for the young kids today you know that they they can um go the college right or they can go into to professional soccer if obviously if they're good enough you know as we all know that pyramid is um the tip of it's very very small and very few are going to make it so um for for a lot of the kids out there today i would say that the best way is the college route, you know, and, and it's like anything. You'll only you're only going to get out of it what you put in, you know. And and there's there's all different levels even at the college game that the kids can go. There's Division One, which is supposedly the highest, and then Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, and and um, the junior college route. So there's there's a many ways for the kids to get there. And and as we know, um, we all mature at different rate so somebody somebody who's maybe been great as a young kid may fit to fall off or fade away and then somebody who maybe didn't show well as, as a youngster may gradually get better and better and better maybe go straight into the pros or maybe goes uh, through the college so there's there's many ways i think there's more ways now when i first started with clive it was the college right because i'm i'm not sure mls was back then right <laughs> i think so there was not, there was nowhere for them to go because I think with Casey was her first one. Casey was there for th three years. Four, I think he did his four. No, I think he did three years. He did no, maybe he did his four years, and then he went to. We got him an opportunity to go to Millwall, 
mm-hmm. because there was nothing over here. You know, there was, I mean, he was a national team player and stuff, but there was nowhere for him to play professionally over here. So his his route was to, to go to Europe. And now the young players today have got, you know, got MLS and USL has got a good league now. So there, there's, there's many tiers for these uh, potential professional soccer players to go. And so, so with your trajectory specifically, you, how did you become a goalkeeper? Was that something that happened early on, or was that something that sort of as you developed and others did or didn't, you became well, a goalkeeper? Just growing up, you know, you, you play with your buddies, and you know, um, obviously, there was no floodlights in our area and stuff like that. And actually, a lot of the the Irish league clubs didn't even have floodlights, so we were playing the street, you know, and and as you said, like it was. I was born a long time ago, so there wasn't many cars in our village. <laughs> so we were yeah. able to play on the street, and a car came, you know. Um, you just ran off the, out of the way, and you had coats for goals or stones and stuff like that. So we play on the street, and then on a Saturday, we would play, for, you know, you'd maybe play two games on a Saturday, you know, for, for the boys' brigade, which is like the the Boy Scouts over here. We we had a, uh, different teams so we maybe play in the morning and then you'd go play in the afternoon so you play two games on a saturday but um and i was not one of the better ones as a field player you know so if i wanted to play i so i decided to go on goals and uh i did quite well yeah i think so so not being you know just to get picked on the teams you know it's like okay, who's who wants to? Who, we need a goalkeeper. Who's going to go in goals? So I just said, hey, well, if I want to play, I'm going to go in, in there, you know. So I played in goals. So I played for the local boys' brigade. I played for the local intermediate school as well. And so, how did you end up with with Bangor and then Cardiff City? Okay, um, well, when I was in the high school, because um, that goes from like twelve to sixteen, you know, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was playing locally for the boys' brigade, and, and in the summer there was what they call a summer league tournament in, in the village, and it was some of the Irish league players would come and play, and older guys, you know, guys in their twenties and thirties, and some even in their forties, and they they play in this this summer league, which got at times real rough, you know. I mean, um, there was fights galore and stuff like that on. Uh, during the summer nights. So I was sitting down um, on the shore wall because I come from a little seaside village with my buddies and one of the local teams were short of goalkeepers and I knew the guys because everybody everybody knows everybody else where I'm from. And I says, come on, we need you tonight. So I went up and played in this summer league. I think it was 14 or 15. So I'm playing with guys in their 30s and late 20s. And uh, a scout from Bangor saw me play, which is the the closest local Irish league club to me. So um, I went over and signed as an amateur when I was still 15. And um, at the same time, I was picked to play for the Northern Ireland schoolboys through my high school. And a couple of days before the first, a week before the first game or so, um, I got called into the PE teacher's office and he said, um, you can't go, you're seven days too old. They screwed up my birth date on the application. So I was, you know, not 
then selected to play for the Northern Ireland Schoolboys. You had to be under like, 16 or something like that, or 15. And you know, and that team, you know, a lot of the guys that have gone through that, like is like Sammy McElroy, Jimmy Nickel, all these guys that played for Northern Ireland and Man United and stuff like that, had gone through the Northern Ireland Schoolboys. That was your way. That was your next step to become, you know, to get into the English league, you know. So um, that all fell through, but I went to Bangor. And then I was I turned 16 in July, and um, I think it was, and I was playing in the reserves, regular. And um, then I got picked to play in the first team when I was just turned 16. And um, my first game was against the top club in Northern Ireland, Linfield. We lost 4-0. My next game, I think, was against Derry City, and we lost 4-1. And my third game was against one another top club, Glen Tor, and we lost 10-1, and I got man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> did the other team vote on it? How did that happen? Oh, well, I, I tell you what. No, um, and I was home there last couple of years ago and I met a couple of guys who were on that team and we had a laugh about it. But, um, and then I was left out because, you know, the, the manager at the time said it's better to, you know, after that game, it was better to get, not that it was my fault, you know, but um, so then, as, you know, I, I was in and out of the team and then I became a regular for Bangor. And then uh, I got, as you said earlier in the, in the podcast, I was picked to... Northern Ireland youth team and uh, the Northern Ireland amateur team. And then, uh, and there was clubs, you know, watching, had scouts at games like um, Leeds United, um, um, several other clubs were over watching all the time, you know. So, and then I think Cardiff City, the manager we had at the time, um, well, I had one manager, Charlie Tully, who was a uh, he's a folk hero still. If you, if you ever speak to anybody that follows Glasgow Celtic, they will know who Charlie Tully is. And he was good friends with Jock Steen, so he sent me over there on trial. And I'd never been out of Northern Ireland in my life, and I lasted a week, got homesick. And I, I was on the... It was the time just after Celtic had won the European Cup. So I'm in the field with these guys that had just won the European Cup. You know, and um, I didn't know sort of pinched myself and saying, what the hell am I doing here with these guys? Cause they were unbelievable, you know. You know, Billy Neal, um, Jimmy Johnson, you know, you, you just got to look at that old Celtic team that won the European Cup. They were all there. And that, for me, was unbelievable. But then I come home, and Charlie, when I was there, Charlie passed away. So I think if he hadn't passed away, I'd have, I'd have probably signed for Celtic. And then um, we had another manager, and he played for Newcastle United. And his guy he played with there, Jimmy Schooler, they were friends. So he contacted Jimmy Schooler, and Cardiff City signed me. And so, so oh, go ahead. And that was that's how I got to Cardiff. So I'm noticing in this path also some some setbacks. I mean, you were in the right place at the right time uh, in the summer tournament. And then even as you're taking a step or two forward, there's still steps backward yeah. with, you know, yeah. you're a bit old uh, and so you can't go on um, or, you know, they're just different things, but you kept going. And when I think about all the players you've helped and coached and given the game back to, 
Um, it's interesting to hear that this is how it started. Yeah, you know, you know, life's not a smooth, smooth sailing. There's there's many ups and downs, and you know, you, you have to learn from from the things that you know go against you. So I I still want to you know I I love the game. I still love the game today, and uh, I just wanted to be my my goal was to be a professional soccer player, footballer, you know, and, and so I just kept at it. Maybe it was the best thing that happened. You know, maybe if I had got a schoolboy international and went to England, I might not have signed. You know, you'd have been an apprentice, which listening to Willie's podcast, you know, you're cleaning the terraces, you're cleaning up after the pros and stuff like that. You know, and, and maybe I, I, I wouldn't have worked out for me. So, you know, everything, there's there's a reason for everything, you know. And so, Bill, you're also, and this is a, huge positive you're a three-time welsh cup winner uh for those that may not know what what's the welsh cup like is it comparable to say an fa cup or a u.s open cup it's just it's similar you know and well obviously not on the same level i don't know if level is the correct word but the same it's the welsh fa cup whereas the fa cup is the english fa cup and that's open to all as you know all the, all the, any club that wants to enter it and the same with the Welsh Cup. It's the same with the Irish Cup and stuff like that. So each country has their F Football Association Cup. So we would, Cardiff would play in it, but they wouldn't come into the later round. So there'd be Cardiff at the time, Wrexham. Wrexham were in the second or third division. Newport County, Swansea. They would all come in later on in, in the rounds, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, they would play. Because if you won that, if you won the FA Cup, that got you into Europe. Into the Euro then I think it's what it's the Champions League, and then what's the one down from the Champions the League? UEFA? The UEFA. The UEFA. Just... Then it was called the um, European Cup Winners Cup. So we would play in the, in the European Cup Winners Cup, you know, uh, when we won it. So who did you get a face again in, in, in games like that after you've won the Welsh Cup? Uh, we played Danmo Tbilisi. Uh, Fern Faris of Hung Hungary, um, Servette, Geneva, Switzerland, Austria, Memphis, of, obviously of Austria, Sporting Lisbon. You know, those are the ones that I played against. You know, and, and the year I, before I got there, they beat Real Madrid, I think, 1 0 at Cardiff City. So, you know, it, it, it was an, another sort of means of finance for the club and obviously you know it, it it give players that little bit more draw to go to a club like Cardiff City, Swansea City or something like that who who could get into the European Cup Winners Cup and you know we went um, one of the interesting ones was going to Tbilisi in Russia in the 70s you know so that was that was that was one of the um, bonuses of winning the the Welsh FA Cup. Yeah, and this is amazing. Um, so, I want to talk something technical, if I if you I can. In a lot of the videos that I've seen from the seventies UK matches, the fields look awful. They look like they get soggy very fast. I'm just sort of, I've got uh, sort of. I'll, I'll give you the follow up question too. With that, I'm curious, how do you even playing goal on a field like that? And then I'm. I want to know what what your how would you describe your style playing in goal, and would that change later when you went to the U.S. and were playing on, um, you know, fields that maybe were a bit drier, were turf, 
uh, etc. Um, well, yeah, the fields weren't great. Um, they, 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 obviously the technology wasn't there and it, that there is today. Uh, one year at Cardiff, um, I think it was when we played Leeds in the cup, the whole field, all the grass died. So we were basically playing on mud, on a diamond, you know, from the goals out to the halfway line to the other goals. The only bits of green was in the corners. So all the grass died. So we were playing on mud and, and you know, and it's, you know, the, sometimes the ball would come through, sometimes the ball would hold up, you know. Um, so, you know, you, you just had to be, I, I suppose my, my style was, I was aggressive, you know. Off the field, um, I was usually, I'm pretty quiet and laid back. But once I got on the field, it was, you know, hey, I'm going to do whatever I can to win within the laws of the game. So I, I was probably pretty aggressive, you know, brave and aggressive. Um, coming to America, you know, we played um, RFK with the Washington Diplomats. The field was, oh, beautiful, you know. And then, you know, you go to like Tulsa where the field was, oh, you're playing on carpet with, you know, patches in it and stuff like that. So, and, you know, it, you just, it, the game, the ball would come quicker and then if it rained, it skipped off it a little bit more and stuff like that. So you just had to adapt. You know, learning to you know play on turf was, you know, it not didn't take too much. You know, it's still you just got to keep the ball out of the back of the net. Doesn't matter how. Right, and I'm curious, when did you start wearing gloves, and what was that sort of an evolution like? Because now you wouldn't see a barehanded goalkeeper, but it wasn't um, uncommon. No, if if the if it was dry, you know, you you would just use your bare hands, and you had these little green cotton gloves that you would wear if the ball got wet. You know, if it was raining and stuff like that, there was th times that you'd, you know, it'd be like catching a bar of soap in the shower, trying to catch the ball with the gloves on. They were just so, I don't know if they, you know, helped or hindered, you know. I remember days when you'd look down and the water's just running off your, running out of your gloves, you know. And then when it came to States, um, and I think it might have been through, through Mick Hoban when he was at Nike, we got some Ulsport. They had a deal with, I think Nike had Ulsport gloves and they had that foam. So that was the first time I started wearing gloves when it came, you know, on a, on a even on a dry day, you know. Mm -hmm. But we'd only wear, the keepers would only wear gloves when it was wet and rainy, you know. Interesting. So, um... so technology in that part has really come a long way, you know. So it has as well. You know, I mean, the balls are different today as well. Sometimes the balls we played with would have would have knocked you out. You know, if it had hit you. Right. Yeah, they were. They just absorbed everything. Oh, they absorbed everything. You know, and then we we had game balls, but it wasn't like I think today. You watch, it's a new game, a new game ball every game, pretty much. You know, and uh, those days it was you kept several balls for games and you know they got reused 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 and they got heavier and heavier and heavier so at the end of february you're playing with i mean a medicine ball sometimes yes <laughs> real so, so you know yeah. and you look at the players today i mean they're playing with what i, I it, the balls are so light and easy to you know handle the the field players had to deal with you know oh you know yeah. 
unbelievable, you know, heavy balls and strikers and stuff like that. You know, and I know that uh, some of the people, are, you know, are starting to suffer from dementia, maybe from heading the ball and stuff like that, you know, because that ball was so, oh, sometimes it was, it was so heavy, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's um, it's hard sometimes in these interviews, Bill, to not for me to not just take my brain somewhere. Like um, when you mentioned Willie, and um, sorry, when you when you mentioned um, Mick Hoban, and I just think about his change in trajectory when he went into working with Nike, and how that sort of had a ripple effect, even with just something like gloves and a deal with Ulsport. Uh, but I also I'm also going off as well when you say uh, talk about technology and how. You know, for goalkeepers, it makes the job a lot easier on one hand because when you when you're distributing a ball, it can take off a lot more. Yeah. But I'm guessing it makes it harder too because strikers can do more with the ball. Yeah, the ball, the balls, like you know, I keep saying to keepers today, I wish they catch him, you know. But I, you know, obviously I'm not playing, so the, I think the ball, you know, dips and swerves more and stuff like that. So it's you know, it's probably a little bit more difficult to handle, you know. But it, it's a lot easier to strike and you know. But from a goalkeeper's point, you know, you know, okay, we got gloves, which maybe makes makes handling the ball a little bit easier. But then the ball, you know, everything is about probably trying to promote more goals, more goals, more goals. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so the balls are lighter, and, and and the flight of them, I don't think is as, you know, and plus, you know, the players can do some of the players today can do unbelievable things as as when like the rest of us, all the old guys played, they could do unbelievable things with the ball, which wasn't as receptive to them as the ball is today. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit when you're with Cardiff City. Uh, you played with two would-be future Timbers teammates, Willie Anderson, who joined in the 73 season, and Clive Charles, who came at the start of the 74 season. What do you remember about meeting them for the first time as they came into your team, and what kind of players were they? Um, well... You know, Willie. Willie came from Aston Villa, and he'd been at Man United. So, sort of, for me, I was a little bit in awe. You know, Willie coming in. You know, Willie. Willie was uh, a winger, quick. You know, skillful. Would get down. You know, get down the flanks and whipping crosses. Clive was. Clive was coming. You know, full of confidence. And you know, well, you know, he 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 was the same person that you got to know as he was when he came in the locker room, full of, full of life and always up to, you know, no good mm -hmm. with you know, jokes and stuff like that and what have you, you know, so he, he was, he was fun to be around, you know. And, and so who were some of the best players you faced at Cardiff city? Well, that Leeds team mm -hmm. was of international the, the Leeds team was full of internationals I think that in that FA Cup game um, I think the whole team was internationals Welsh English I mean Jackie Charlton Billy Bremner Johnny Giles Alan Alan um, well, Mick Jones um, Peter Larmer Andy Gray did I mention Bremner Mm -hmm. You know, um, Midley, you know, so the whole team, the whole team was internationals. And then, you know, I, at that time, Man United was relegated into this, then the second division. So I played against, you know, some of the Man United players, Bobby Charlton, you know, stuff like that. So um, those were some of the big, you know, at that time in the 70s, Leeds United was, 
was the team, you know. And so, and, oh, go ahead. And Man United, you know, and they were both, Man United and them were both in the first division. So, you know, we got to play Leeds in the FA Cup. Man United were relegated, you know, and then like at the time, I think we played Sheffield United in the FA Cup. Um, Sunderland, Dennis Church played for them, who came over to play for the Cosmos. Um, you know, so those are some of the, the good players that I played against over there. You know, and there's probably a lot that I can't remember names. That's kind of amazing that they're, I mean, you think you're playing against Leeds in the FA Cup and that's kind of a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and yet you haven't even gone up against, you know, Pele, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Johan Cruyff, etc. I'm curious, that happened when you came to the U.S. When, when you signed with the Washington Diplomats in 1978, how did that happen? How did you end up uh, end up there? I was, well, at, at Cardiff at the time, you know, and Willie had gone over um, to the States a year before, and I think he'd just been traded to the States, and Clive had just been traded to the States as well. And I had a, a fallen out with the manager, you know, so I asked to go on the transfer list. And um, so I went on the transfer list and I was in the reserves at the time. And um, Joe Mallet, who was the assistant coach at, at Washington Diplomats, came and saw me play a couple of times. And then uh, they made an offer for me and uh, the club well, that was one day it was on, the next day it was off, the next day it was on, the next day it was off. It was sort of a bit of a saga, but eventually went through where I, you know, they agreed on the money and, you know, not that it was a lot. I have no idea what the fee was. It was never released. So um, then, I, you know, I went to Washington. Washington bought my rights. And I went over there. Did you think when you're on the transfer list that it would be America, or was, was, were you hoping well, maybe I, England or anywhere? But hoping anywhere. I think you know there were several clubs you know in, interested in signing me. I think because um, the manager said you just want to go to America. I says I go anywhere. I just want to get away from you. You know. <laughs> um, um, I think uh, Crystal Palace had come in, and Terry Venables was the coach, and I think, uh, and then Bolton Wonders. And uh, it was supposed to be, uh, I think, uh, according to Stuart Lee, who's an ex-Timber as well, um, Stuart was supposed to go to Cardiff and I was supposed to go to Bolton, but that all fell through. So, you know, it, it just happened. You know, I told him I want to go to the States and to get away from, because he hadn't been, in my eyes, he hadn't been honest with me, you know. So I wanted away. And I'd been there for eight years, you know. And so uh, you come here, and one thing that's strange about the North American Soccer League, or fantastic, however you want to look at it, is the shootouts. And when I talked to you about the 35-yard the shootouts, uh, we talked about the famous one in New York against the Cosmos. Um, but you also mentioned that your teammate, Johan Cruyff, was the best you saw at those. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of, yeah, go on. Yeah, he, he was one of the, good, you know, um, he was very good at them. And, and uh, you know, there was... The Cosmos, if you watch some of those, um, uh, Bogey, Bogey, yeah, Bogey, yeah, 
Kubica, I can't pronounce it. And then uh, the Brazilian centre back, uh, Carlos Alberto. Mm -hmm. he, he was unbelievable. He would flick it up, juggle it, and then try and chip you, you know, over your head, you know. So it was. There was a lot of guys, you know, that did different things. But you know, Cruyff, Cruyff was. He was. He was good. He was. But he was something special. But I mean, so was Bogey and and Carlos Alberto and you know and and. Uh, Escandarian and stuff like that, you know. Those guys are all because we practiced them nearly every day after after training, you know. Because mm -hmm. it was like if the game was tied, then you knew you were going to shoot out, you know. Because they had to have a winner here yeah. in America. Right. Well, the the thing is that was started by um, I don't know if John Carbray was the general manager when you went to the dips or yeah, he was. John John was the manager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's he's the one who started that idea. I I'm not sure, but you know, I I I I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a lot more exciting than the PKs. You know, it's you know because in my mind, whoever's hitting the PK shouldn't miss it. You know, um, and whereas the 35 yard shootout, it can go. I think it's you know gives the crowd a little bit more excitement. You know. Yeah. In my mind, but you know, um, I'm a nobody, so I'd, I'd like to see. I'd like to see it brought in, in, in you know, to, to any of these games. It has to go to you know, be decided. It would be nice to see the 35 yards should I come back. Yeah, there was one time I think it was Minnesota where you took advantage of the fact that there was yeah. no visible clock. Right? <laughs> can, you, can you talk well, about that? Oh, uh, uh, we uh, when you. When we got new players come to the team and they'd be practicing them, um, I would, the coach would blow the whistle, right? And then the guy would start off. I go, wait a minute, I'm not ready. And the guy would stop, right? And then I go, three, two, one, unlucky, you know? <laughs> so I tried that in a game and got away with it <laughs> against Minnesota. I think the bench is cleared. Oh, that's but, uh, you know, um, so, and, you know the, the referee give it in my my favor so it worked once yeah <laughs> but we catch we get all the new players coming in the guys would say hey, go get them you know so we would do it usually when new players come in you know so something else interesting about the league was and this is a i've got a sort of a range of questions in this so give me a second uh, in the North American Soccer League, there was a minimum amount of North Americans who had to be on the field. Yeah, and that was uh, that was a rule, which is you know when you're building a league, it makes sense. Uh, but interestingly, what that meant was um, a couple of things. One is, um, well, this is kind of a roundabout, but Clive Charles' first assist was against you. Um, okay. It was Thanks a secondary assist. What's that? Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's great because it was you know when he was here in Portland, but <laughs> but later when you were playing in Portland. Uh, you weren't in goal when John Bain scored a, a playoff game winner because Bob Stetler came Bob in, Stetler, yeah. right? Because yeah. of uh, the North American rule, they had to. Your coach wanted to do something more attacking as, as the game yeah, went on. Yeah, and then you know, I, um, yeah, three. I think it had to be three Americans on the field at a time. So uh -huh. um, there was times, you know, the coach made that decision. I, you know, I can't, I can't quite remember. I know Gordon. But there was Bob Stetler and then um, another ex Timber. Was it with Washington? With us was Dragon Radovich. Yeah, you know he was at Washington at the same time as me. You know. 
Yeah, and I, I talked to him. He was here in uh, 82 with you as well. Uh, in Portland. I think so, yeah. 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 And so, so you weren't you were subbed out of that game that I mentioned because you you weren't an American, but you eventually got a visa probably when you were playing with Dallas. Yeah, I got so, well when, or citizenship. Yeah, I got my citizenship when I was in Dallas. Um, the um, I met when I came out in '77 on vacation to see Willie. You know, because Willie and I were friends. Um, you know, we, our we, our friendship started at Cardiff, and he says, "Why don't you come out on vacation?" And and one of the other guys, you know, was supposed to come out with me, but he he got cold feet. He doesn't like to fly, and so I come out on my own and uh, met my wife on that that trip. So um, then we got married <laughs> in '78 when I came over and uh, got my green card right away. I think. That, Probably the rules have changed a little bit over 40-odd years ago. And um, when I went to Dallas, they asked if I would be interested in getting my citizenship, and I said yes. So um, they went through the process and got me my citizenship, so I became I became an American citizen. So I was one of the three that, that could be on the field all the, basically all the time. Mm-hmm. So that instant that you just referred to wouldn't occur again because I, I was a citizen. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting part of the game. Um, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'm not going to gloss over the fact that you came to visit Willie and he said he never saw you when you were here. Um, <laughs> but, but I will say in, um, in 82, I think it was when you got your citizenship, uh, the hunts uh, had a big yeah. role in helping that as well. And yeah, so when you think about what kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't know if people talk enough about the impact they had on the game, and that's just one aspect where, you know, players are coming over. There's a, a North American rule, but they helped people get citizenship here, which yeah. you know is still building the game forty years later now, fifty years later, um, as many people are able to stay even when the league went away because of that. Uh, but what other? I mean, can you talk a little bit about the hunts and how they, you know, helped with that and how they, you know, helped build the game here? Yeah, well, I think Lamar Hunt, he he, he had this, I think, vision, you know, and he, he owned, a, a, well, I think the family still owns, what, the Kansas City Chiefs and stuff like that. And then he started to invest money into the uh, Dallas Tornado. And he was, I mean, he, he was a very nice gentleman, you know. I met him a couple of times. And, you know, he obviously he um, was very influential in, in getting me my, citizenship you know because he knew some powerful people in high places so he he was and you know he would he would come around and stuff like that and and you know he was just a, an ordinary guy you know he didn't have any you know sort of errors and graces about him he was just one of the guys i you know you, you think of people with loads and loads of money that they'd be a little you know hey how they dress but he was just a no different than you and me you know so he was a really nice gentleman and you know so he helped along the way he helped these he helped bring soccer you know and, I, and i'm happy to see that uh, the the u.s open cup is called after him you know because he he led all the foundations for for players today he helped you know he, he had that vision of seeing soccer as you know a, a good 
I suppose a good business to get into, you know, as it is. I mean, you hear these franchises going for loads and loads of money now. It's 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 crazy, you know. And so, uh, speaking of franchises coming and going, you came to Portland in 1982, which was the last season of the Timbers. Um, what was that? What was that season like? How did you end up in Portland? And then, what was it like just coming here and then the team folds? Leaving. <laughs> What's that? And coming here for a year and then leaving again. You know, mm. I think people, I think players got a little nervous when they saw me coming because I kept every club I went to folded. <laughs> um, so uh, I think it was was it Chris Dangerfield mentioned about some of the very more he had more clubs than Jack Nicholas or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I think I was in the same boat. Um, but uh, yeah, I came here. You know, um, the. Dallas Tornado folded, and we there was a dispersal draft, and I was picked up by Tampa Bay Rowdies, but I never I never went to Tampa. They Tampa Tampa picked up my contract, and I sat in Dallas. They told me just to sit in Dallas, wait wait it out, and then they sold me to the Timbers, or they traded me to the Timbers, so I came up to you know. I spoke to Paddy McMahon, who was the assistant coach to Vic Crow at the time. Mm -hmm. Paddy you know, was asking me, did I have citizenship and stuff like that? I said, yeah, I got it. And he says, okay, well, we're going to get your rights. And I came into Portland, you know, which was, which was fine because I knew, you know, at that time, the Timbers, but there was a lot of British guys on the team. And I knew a lot of them, you know, because I'd be, when I came out in 77, you know, you know, I, I got to meet like Gandhi and Mick and, Willie and you know um, Stuart Scullion, Graham Day. I got to know all those guys, you know. Mm -hmm. In the three weeks I was here, so, it was, so oh, yeah. it was it was it was an easy transition, you know. And then you know, all of a sudden they decided to go belly up, and was on the move again. Yeah, you went to um, Golden Bay, yeah, Minnesota, and Wichita. Yep. Yeah, and then yeah, we went, yeah, went from here from the Timbers to San Jose, and it was two then two years at San Jose, and then the, the whole league folded, and then uh, I I went to I think we came back up to Portland, mm -hmm. we drove a U-Haul back up to Portland instead of my in-laws, and then. Uh, Minnesota came calling and I went to Minnesota and then I think in between Minnesota and Wichita I went down to Houston and played uh, that was like the USL or something I think I'm not sure but they played mostly exhibition games you mm -hmm. know and then um, we went went to Wichita and then after that I said that's enough that's it time to settle down you know and that was 1987 yeah, 87, I think it was. Yeah, and you came back here because yeah, my wife's from here, so we moved back here. And then I, you know, went out. I knew Charlo was out. At the, I went out to see him, and he says, "Hey, do you want to come help me?" I says, "Well, I got nothing else to do, so yeah, okay." Yeah, so you were. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were going to go back to school to get an education uh, degree. Well, right? Yeah, well, I was going to try and get a degree, which cause, because. If you look at the, the system here in America, nearly everybody has a degree or did have a good degree in those days. So if I wanted to get a job, you know, I needed a, 
a degree. So I started going back to to school. I went to community college for two years and got an associates. And then by the time I got that, I was helping Clive at UP. And then I finished off the degree at UP. Or the, I got my bachelor's at UP. And so I want to transition a little bit and talk about um, the University of Portland and move in that direction. Is there anything from your playing career you we've, we've I mean, with the stuff we've missed, of course, but. You know, when I came to States, um, I got I got to play with um, some of the top players in the world as teammates, Cruyff, Vim Janssen, Wim Sabir, you know, all played in two World Cup finals or two World Cups anyway. You know, and then, you know, there was Zungle and Trelecki and stuff like that, which was, um, you know, nice. Sometimes you sort of sit back and look at it and say, hey, you know, these are some of the players I've played with and against, you know, and that, that's, not, that's not to take anything away from the like of Willie Anderson, Mick Hoban, Jimmy Kelly, you know, all those guys, because they're all the same. They're all, they're all, I've been blessed to play with a lot for, with and against a lot of, very good players over here in America. So, uh, uh, and you know, as I said, enjoyed every every minute of it. You know, that's good. I love hearing that because um, it should be enjoyed, right? I mean, it's a... oh yeah, yeah. You don't like it, you know, that's it. Yeah. So, so you okay? So, I'm going to talk about the University of Program. Uh, sorry, University of Portland program a little bit, and. I think a lot of people will agree with this, that the program really happened in 1987 when top 10 Notre Dame came to Portland to play. And that was a, from what I was able to find a conscious decision between Clive and um, is it Joe Etzel at the time to, to go after the best. It seemed to be the ethos of what you, you did at UP is you gave the guys the best opportunity uh, and the girls, right? The players, the best opportunity to play the best teams. But that yeah. specific game was at civic stadium and it was, uh, like I said, it was 1987, the year before the team went on its final four run, which we'll talk about in a second. But Dennis Grace was the coach of the Notre Dame team, and they came over thinking, you know, they were going to beat um, beat this team from Portland. And the Pilots end up winning 3-1. And that's yeah. sort of, that's it. Yeah. You know, when you, when you give me that information about that, I'm going, I had to really dig deep into the memory banks there, you know, and, and and I went, Oh, that was that was when we went we, we played one game down there, yeah. Yeah, Joe, Joe Edsel, you know, him and Clive got together and, you know, thanks to Joe, Joe made that happen, I think, with the help of Clive and probably some of their our donors. And, you know, they come in, as you said, they were a top team at the time and I one of the things that sticks out was, you know, Clive would always be in sweats, but that game he was on the touchline in a jacket and pants, and I think maybe even a tie on it, as far as my memory serves me. And uh, as you said, I couldn't remember the score, but when you and then you told me the score, and it, it sort of brought things back. But one of the things that you know we we couldn't believe is that you know after a certain period of time, three or four players would come off, and three or four players would go on. Whether those players were Killing us or not, that was predetermined that at a certain time, X amount of players would come on, X would go off, you know. And that's and Notre Dame subbing. That was that was Notre Dame subbing. So we, we Clive and at that time we did well all the way through his career and that there we never subbed that way, you know. Um 
if, if such and such is playing really well, why would you bring him off? You know, whereas I think in that Notre Dame game, some of the one I think some players have been killing this, and they would come off. You know, mm-hmm. and then as you said, we ended up we ended up uh, winning three one, which I think ignited the whole thing for the the, the soccer program at, at the university. Yeah, and I think. Um... If I remember right, Joey Leonetti was a All-State player of the year in high school, and he was at that game as a yeah. would-be recruit. Sam Singer, who was a you know youth international playing out of California, um, yeah. and you know it's just one of those games where like teams see okay, this team's going to play good teams, they can beat them. So what they what the coaches tell us, we can believe, um, and then these these big names start coming to the the team, and then in 1988, you're taking off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always. Um, look to play the best schedule we could play, you know, to play the best teams we could play. I mean, we, we've, we've traveled to the East Coast to play teams. You know, we went back there and played Duke twice. Um, but the, some of those East Coast teams don't want to come to the West Coast. But we were always of the mindset, hey, we're going to play against the best teams we can and give the players the best um, experience they can. You know, we're not going to play, you know, teams that aren't going to challenge us. We want to be challenged day in, day out in our games. And uh, that's the way it happened. As I say, we would travel East Coast. We went to Duke twice. We went to Florida International. We went to Penn State, Virginia. You know, so we were never frightened to go anywhere, you know. Um, And I think that helped the players and the program, you know against the best the best schools that we could play against because if you look at the east coast none of those east coast teams have to travel anywhere and the whole thing for me is it's the whole um playoff thing is east coast bias i mean and that's probably you know that's that's me that's that's my interpretation you know some of these east coast teams they they won't travel they just they say any, anywhere out of their region, you know, they'll just stay there because they can jump in a bus and go like Virginia can jump in a bus and go up to Georgetown or, or you know, North Carolina, South Carolina. They don't have to travel any anywhere. But we had to, I mean, our, our closest one was Gonzaga. Oh, sorry, Oregon State. Mm-hmm. We busted down to Oregon State and busted up to Gonzaga sometimes, you know. But, and not, you know, um, these East Coast teams. So I, I, I always thought that, you know, there was a bit of a bias, but maybe I'm wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. Probably all East Coast coaches will say no. Yeah, of course they will. <laughs> so, okay, so the 1988 is the best men's soccer season in UP history. Went to yeah. the Final Four. And that's a season where the goalkeeper was a freshman, but it wasn't any freshman goalkeeper. It was Casey Keller. How yeah. how was it making a run with someone with with a goalkeeper or someone like that? And how did do you remember even how Casey ended up at UP? Um, Clive went to watch him play up in Seattle, and I think he went up with a friend of his, Phil and Cheddar. And I think Clive had to borrow money from Phil to get into the game because he didn't think he had to pay to go watch a high school <laughs> game. So they went up and watched him, and then he he ended up you know bringing Casey to, to UP, you know, um, he just had an, you know, he was a good recruiter. He told him, Hey, this is, you want to be a pro. This is the place to be, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, at, at the time 
I think at that time there wasn't too many programs had like so I you know I was an assistant coach but I had you know I could do the goalkeepers and I think you know Clive said hey we got I got a guy who coaches the goalkeepers blah 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 you know so he that's how we got kissing I'm not saying it was up to me I think it was Clive you know what had sold the program and stuff to him. So Casey came, I mean, he was a youth international and stuff like that. So he had a lot of experience, you know, mm -hmm. um, playing for the national teams. And there were also some guys on that team from the general area that were successful before Casey, Wade Weber, um, Jimmy Weber, Rob Sakamoto, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that probably helps a bit. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch, bunch of guys from, from the Seattle area, Gareth Smith, another one. Right. Yeah, so they all, they, yeah, that was, you know, um, I, I just, you know, Clive always said, hey, I, all I want is a couple of sort of superstars and the rest, I want blue color, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what we were. Some of those guys are both. Exactly, right. yeah. yeah. But you don't want 11 superstars because you got 11 egos. Right, right. You know, and, and we had a group that had no egos, you know, they all want, they were all, friends with each other they got along with each other they all knew what they wanted you know and what we wanted uh, i want to uh, i want to talk about building some things real quick but first i want to make sure i give credit to dennis omira who started the program there yeah um right yeah. and and really even some of these guys that were there when you got there um came in i think during his era like jeff kadowski greg moss um maybe yeah. even benedetti yeah i think scott was there greg moss was there kadowski um i'm not sure who else you know um actually you know i can't remember if, if the like of wade and stuff was there i'm not right. sure wade Weber. i'm not sure wade was we, i think wade was there before right yeah so you know we had all those guys and so you know and then we we, we brought in we brought in some new players or clive you know because i i was you know um basically part 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 time you know mm -hmm. and, and so so, yeah. so see, people don't people don't realize that, that he was part time and we, we, we were both part time right and so so people think about also when they think about UP now they think about Merlo Field and the Clive Charles Soccer Complex and how beautiful that is but you played on Holbrook Field which was probably a lot like Ninian Park in ways uh, yeah. when it rained yeah. <laughs> it got very, very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, um, that year that you played the Final Four um, back east, you were you would have NCAA rules at the time where the, the highest seed hosted the tournament, but because the field was in such bad shape, you couldn't. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, we ended up going to Indiana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember when we beat uh, UCLA, Ziggy... You know, um, he had like, he was in street clothes and shoes and he was coming across the field in his, in his dress shoes <laughs> up to his ankles in mud, you know, when, when we beat UCLA. And so that was the start of, that was the start of a lot of this, right? Though, because you, you've yeah. earned the right to host the national finals and by all rights had the best team in the country. Uh, and then yeah, right. you had to go away. So it's like, we, we need a stadium. Yeah, we, yeah. So we a field. I went to, you know, Harry Merlo and Earl Charles and made it happen. You know, yeah. made it happen. You know, yeah. but uh, 
you know, and then, you know, as I say, we were in Indiana and we played Indiana and lost 1-0. And Clive always said, all I wanted to do with my goalkeeper to make one save. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So And so speaking yeah. speaking of goalkeepers, Bill, you've I'm going I'm probably going to miss someone on this list, but you've trained a lot at UP, uh, specifically on the men's side. Um and like I said, I mentioned Greg Moss, Jeff Godowski, Casey Keller, Scott Howman, Stuart Dobson, Luis Robles. I know I'm missing some, but what's different about someone like because some of the a lot of those guys are professionals. They have had great professional careers. But what's different than someone who's good at Division One, than someone who's a professional, than someone who's next level like Casey? But there's yeah, um, just it's like nothing works without the work. I mean, I'm not saying that none that some of them didn't work. They all worked, you know. And then, but you know, sometimes people are given. A, uh, a God-given gift, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they just tend to shine a little bit more. And you know, I mean, we had we uh, we had several goalkeepers ended up, you know, as you said, playing professionally. And and um, there, there's just a little. There's a they just got a little more than somebody else, you know. Maybe it's shot stopping. Maybe it's um, their decision making, you know. Um, and it's it, it's there's not much in it. There's not much separating some of these people, you know, in my mind. And then sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. You know, you just have yeah. to be lucky. You know, in my you know that that. And then when when that door opens, you have to be ready to walk through it. You know, because um, nothing is nothing is given to you. You have to earn it. Uh, so during that time, speaking of opportunities, uh, professional soccer in Portland, there wasn't anything in 88, 90, you know, and, and to a little later. there were. This is post-NASL Timbers, pre-A-League Timbers. This is even, yeah. I think, when Art Dixon came into the picture and there was um, a regional amateur league and it was done so that guys from Bernie's school at Warner Pacific could have experience. Yeah. Guys from the University of Portland, there, were, there was like a limit to players and coaches. Yeah. What do you remember about that situation? Because I remember speaking to like Wade Weber, who said that for him was like the first taste of what a professional life could be like, and it did a lot for him. Yeah, I think you know, they, I think as you said, Art Dixon brought. I think it was the WSL or something like that, Western Soccer League, or yeah, something. And, and you know, we got that give the, the players. Like as you said, Bernie from Warner Pacific, and so, and maybe uh, Jimmy at Oregon State. Some of the players from around the area, a chance to play sort of year round, more year round, and and um, play against maybe um, a bit of a higher level at times. Maybe sometimes it was lower level. I don't know, but they got to train, you know, during the week and then play. So as as, as you alluded to there, but we had said, hey, it was more like a how a professional would deal with it, you know, and uh, I think it helped the players for the next season in college because they were playing on a regular and being coached on a regular basis. And st- you know, instead of you know, okay, you play August, end of August to November, and then you may not see a ball again until I don't know 
March or April where you play, you're allowed to play six games and then, then you got nothing again. So this gives us more continuity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and even we, we did a state team as well, you know, where mm-hmm. we, we would take the kids. To, it was the men's, you know, um, state team. So we had players from Oregon State, Warner Pacific, UP, and we would play, you know, um, as Oregon State team, and I think they ended up winning that one year. They I was on the uh, I was on the '98 team. There you go. Uh, that won the Donnelly Cup, the national championship for that, and the women, Oregon women, also did. Yeah, same yeah. group, so, right? Same yeah. sort of from same, the same, same system, same. which was the first time. Yeah, so you know, Clive was instrumental in doing all that, and and you know, helping players and to play on a more consistent basis, you know. And you know, it, it, you know, um, I think it helped, you know, like the like of Wade Weber very well because Wade went on into MLS, and I, I just saw that he's being promoted up at the Sounders. To, yeah. I, I, I can't remember what position, but he's just been. I think he's in charge of the academy now, you know. Mm. So you know, um, and I think part of that is what he learned here, you know. I I'd, I'd yeah, argue, I'd, yeah, I'd bet so. So, Bill, you've seen this is incredible because we're, you know, even just talking about your playing career and some of the things you've seen develop and coming to the U.S. and seeing the league sort of come up and down. But, you know, you've seen the University of Portland go from, like I said, Dennis O'Meara off to what it is now, even, but through Clive. Uh, and, you know, you were there from the start of that. You're also there from the start of FC Portland. Um, can you talk a little bit about starting FC Portland and what, what that became? Because I don't think you still coach there anymore, do you? I still do, yeah. You do, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, can you walk um, us? Yeah, good. Clive, Clive started it um, because you know we, we, he said we need to develop players, you know. Um, we so he started and it was open to anybody. FC Portland at the start was open to anybody to supplement because there was in the summer there was the clubs weren't doing anything before that and and it would be like a a preseason for their high school. Mm-hmm. So we would go June until I think the first week in August, and we would train Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning, where we would do all these different sessions. And then Saturday morning was usually games, so that they could, you know, um, try and replicate what they'd learned on the Thursday and Friday nights. So we did that, and then he there was no teams affiliated with FC Portland for a couple of years. And then he said, well, why, why are we making all these players better when we, we, you know, when we're not, we might as well form our own team. So that's how, you know, and then we started forming teams in FC Portland. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for us to, to um, get players for UP. You know, I mean, you look at the players, the local players that we had, you know that, that played for FC. You know, um, you know, I uh, well, can't think of them. You know, Scott Sager. You know, Sager was one. Um, Andrew Gregor. You yeah, know, Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Um, you know, so all these players ended up coming through the academy, which we developed. And and at that time, we would be coaching. You know, I would be coaching some academy teams, and we would be going to tournaments. And I'd be coaching the team at a tournament. So if they played maybe at eight o'clock in the morning, I would take them and 
finish the game, then the rest of the day I would spend recruiting, you know, and some of the coaches out there saying, what are you guys doing? I says, well, we're, we're, you know, we're coaching teams and making, trying to find our own players and also recruiting on the, at these events, you know, then it was, I mean, there's been, there's so many more tournaments now than there was then. I mean, we would go to the nomads, you know, surf cup, stuff like that. So we would take teams down to the nomads and then we reformed our relationship with Derek Armstrong. And, uh, you know, we got the like of, you know, Steve Chilandolo, Brandon McNeil, um, Cheeky, oh, uh, Miguel Luna, um, Brandon McNeil, all these guys came, uh, Garrett Markham, all these guys came from uh, the Nomads. So we we got, a, oh, Yari Allnut. So we got that relationship with, with you know, the Nomads. Which which helped bring in, helped us get the, those recruits. Yeah, and we even talk about so something that that strikes me when I think about where all these things started. One is how much hard work and how many miles and hours went into just participating in the game, but also building these things. When I think about you know how much work you guys did, you'd coach, you know, at, you'd coach at the high school. I'm sorry, coach at the college, and then sometimes be in the car going to like Seattle to do a clinic. Which was also yeah. building relationships. I know Bobby Howe's up there, um, but that's you know you're getting people there. You do the work to go down to San Diego. You build a relationship. You get a player or two, and then that's a pipeline, if you will. Yeah. Um, just the amount of, and I, you know when I talked to Nolan Conway a couple weeks ago about Jimmy co- doing OYSA coaching at OSU, but they lived in Beaverton. The amount of time in a car, uh, the amount of time you know on the road building relationships. It was a lot of work, and I'm wondering, can a program like UP or a program like FC Portland happen again where something just fills a void and is built so organically but becomes something so big, or is just the infrastructure kind of too big already in the I, that, or that's, saturated? That's a good question, Billy. You know, um, I think I think maybe there, there's I I I think maybe. You mentioned saturated. I think we're, we're too many. Um, maybe I don't. The, there's a lot of clubs here now, and so the wealth is spread more. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't think, and in my opinion, I don't think we have. A, there's enough, you know, players to fill like three ECNL teams and stuff like that. You know, I think we, you know, if we can, you know. Um, but you know, I, I'm a little bit removed from it all, so it's probably wrong for me to make these assumptions. You know, um, I, I, I coach, yeah, I still coach at FC, but I, I just help out. I, I'm a, an assistant. I help you know, just helping young coaches, and uh, but there, there's there's a lot again, a lot of opportunities for these kids, and 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 uh, I think you know it's getting better and better. You know, I think there's more coaching out there and, and there's more opportunities for them. So I think, you know, hopefully there's, you know, enough players that that, that the colleges, the local colleges here can pull players from this area and keep them in this area the way that, you know, we had like your Chris Bryan, your Scott Sagers and stuff. So that's that's what I'm hoping can, um, can happen. Well, I, I can't walk out to a field now 
anywhere I go and not see somebody that is connected to you or connected to Clive or connected to that generation of Timbers player, NASL player who stayed here and started building the game. It's just, it's impossible. Um, and it's wonderful. Right? Yeah, it's great. You know, there's um, a lot of the guys stayed around here and put in a lot of hard work. And, and you know, it's not, you know, um, it's great, as you said, you know, there, there's a lot of connections out there. I mean, I was out watching my granddaughter play couple of weeks ago maybe maybe longer and uh, you know there were some of my ex-players Ruth X Ruth Ruth Exley and Lisa Seri were out watching had their kids playing in a field beside me beside me you know and then um, so I see some of the you know I'm watching their kids play you know and then like you know we had Rob Bartz and then his son came and played so geez it's you know I'm coaching players' sons, players yeah. that I had coaching their son, you know. So I know it's great, you know, and, and it's not just me. It's the like of Willie Anderson, Mick Hoban, Jimmy Kelly, you know, Bernie Fig and John Bain. I mean, Bainey's big in, in, in West Side and stuff and does a hell of a job. Brian Gant, you know, mm -hmm. it's, these guys, these guys are, have done a phenomenal job in, in this city, you know, and just listening to his the previous podcast with Gandhi and Willie, they would be doing Mick, they'd be doing clinics and meeting people and stuff like that. I think, you know, um, it'd be nice to see today's Timbers doing that as well, you know, um, to get out in, in, in the community and make themselves, you know, more, I don't know, more accessible again, yeah. but I am not, I'm not a, maybe I'm making assumptions because I'm not privy to what goes on, you know. Well, it's sort of a challenge that that you've built something so good that it's going to exist for future generations, which is a huge step in American soccer. Uh, and then the the other side is maybe it's you know at a place where the accessibility uh, is sacrificed a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, yes, you know, but the game the, the game is bigger than everybody. You know, mm -hmm. we're not bigger than the game, and and if we want the game to succeed, you know, we have to. We have to put in the hard work. We have to put in the, you know, the graph to get, to keep people coming, you know, to keep people coming to the games, to you know, to go to the timbers, the thorns, and stuff like that. Because you know, it's a good product, you know. And um, but I like what I'd like to see is, is and again, maybe from a selfish point of view, is more and more American kids playing on the timbers. Yeah. You know. I, I'm not sure if there is an American kid on the Timbers, you know. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, I will stand corrected, but I can't, you know. Uh, um, you know, we had one, one local kid, Farfan, but they let, let Farfan go, mm -hmm. you know. I'd like to see um, some American kids on there. I think there's, what, there was maybe two at one time, and the goalkeeper um, and uh, Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Hunter, uh, I think it's Hunter Swift, yeah, has, has been in. So I'd like to see more. I mean, you look at some of the the other the other teams. Dallas have a bunch of young Americans. You know, um, who else? Sounders have a bunch. You know, yeah, they do afraid. well bringing people through and giving them yeah. chances. Yeah, you know. So so I mean, look, they had a young sixteen-year-old from Alaska playing in their their Champions League final. Yeah. 
Obed Vargas, you know, so let's, let's, you know, hopefully that we see that here, you know, in the near future, where, where we get some young, young, whether they're local or, or I don't care where they're from, but we're given, we're, we're, we're given these um, young players a chance. They have to see light at the end of the tunnel, the young players. They have to see light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, um, and I know a bunch are going to Europe, which is great. But can we get them? Can we get the ones to stay here and you know, or, or start here and then end up going to Europe? You know, mm -hmm. because you know the league is getting better. You know, and uh, let's see these young kids thrive. You know, hopefully we get some good local ones coming through, which would be a bonus. You know, right. But I don't care. I don't care where they where they come from. As long as just let's get some American kids on the field. You know, more American kids on the field. Yeah. And so I'm going to skip around these last few questions, if you don't mind, uh, from what I sent you earlier. But speaking of that, you're a licensed scout for U.S. Soccer System, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm not licensed. I haven't taken my test yet, really. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm trying to promote you. Yeah. Thank if, you. I don't know if I have that power. Yeah. Right. So, but you do you do scouting for them? I mean, you do. Yeah, I do scout for U.S. soccer. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what is um, what do you? And this is mostly I'm I'm, I'm asking this question for any players that might be listening. But when you're out scouting, whether it's for U.S. soccer or for your college or just even throughout your career, what do you look for when you watch a player? I look to see if the player first and foremost has any desire and heart. <laughs> you know, are they willing to work? You know, and then and then you look at their technical ability and their technical. But so I I want to see the desire and 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 the heart first and foremost. You know, are they just going to stand around? Are they going to are they going to work hard? You know, are they you know first? And then I'll look at their you know technical because some of those things for me set them apart. You got you maybe you got somebody who's really technical, but they maybe lazy. You know, um, and you know you can't in today's game. You can't play with 10 players, you know. You need 11 players all working together. So I, I look for that heart and desire first. That and sort of that shows you that they love the game and they want to, for me anyway, proceed. Then I'll look at their technical and tactical know-how. And I want to go back a little bit to UP, and I want to talk about that and then the Nordic Cups, if you don't mind. But right. 2002... UP women win the national championship, right? What did yeah. that mean? That was, I mean, that that was that was it. You know, I mean, yeah. Clive would say we'll, we'll win a national championship. Obviously, we were close with the guys a couple of times, and then winning winning the national championship was was great. It was it was um, it was tremendous, you know, and uh, I was. You know, so happy for him because at that time he, as we all know, he had had cancer and was struggling a bit. So um, that was sort of the icing on the cake for him. You know. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, and a lot of his principles shone through in that game. And I, I, I won't delve any further into it, but his principles and a lot of there's. Players that played in that game, they're listening. Will know what I'm talking about. That he stuck to his principles, mm -hmm. and everything worked out fine. That's fantastic. And that, 
that's yeah. you know that's how true he was to to his himself and to the players and so in so you were the head coach i hate to segue from that because i really appreciate you saying that and i i also like that we can leave it there for them um you know the ones that were there I, yeah. right that's yeah. wonderful but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue in 2007 to 2011. You were the head coach of the U23 U.S. Women's team, and won back-to-back -back Nordic Cups in uh, 2007 2008. What's different about that experience coaching uh, at that level and having that level of success versus, say, a college or a club team? Well, okay. Um, when you get to the national team level, you, you hopefully have the best players in the country. You know, mm -hmm. and um, in those two years, I had some of the best female players in 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 the U.S. So it was it was um, I'm I'm going to say easy, but it wasn't because mm -hmm. I you know I had I had and some of these players have ended up winning um, Olympic gold medals, World Cups. You know, like Becky Sarbroom was on the team. Um, I think, uh, who else? Becky Sarbroom. Um, and then I had, uh, on one of them, uh, we had uh, Ali Krieger, Rachel Bueller, you know, um, and I apologize to the rest who I forget um, that, that ended up getting full caps and ended up, um, Kristen Press, you know, um, Tobin Heath was on. I'm not sure she played all the time, but she was there. And they, they, you know, when you got players like that, it, it's you know, and you're, you're going against the top players from other countries as well. So um, it was, and you couldn't sub in and out, sub in and out, sub in and out. So the players had to learn they were going to play 90 minutes. You know, so that was. I think that was different for the players, where they had they had to fight through ninety minutes. But you know, just for me and, and the staff I had, um, it was great winning winning those two cups. You know, and I think both years we beat Germany in the final. You know, hmm. so um, the it was it was it was nice winning winning those two Nordic cups. I think in in the the, the whole time we had them, we only lost. Three games. One was to the South Korea full team. One was to Sweden, yeah, and one was to England. So, um, and Kelsey Davis was our goalkeeper against England, and she got sent off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kelsey, if you're listening. But um, you know those 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 were they, those were fun times. You know, um, you're given the best players. You just got to gel them together. Chemistry is huge. For me, chemistry is huge. I had good players, but we also had good chemistry within the team, and that helped us. You know, go through two Nordic Cups. You know. And so, so now, I've got just a couple of questions. If you're all right with with a couple more, Bill. Yeah, I'm all right, Billy. No, I mean, I honestly, I could go much longer. Um, <laughs> this is, I'm enjoying this so much. But now you coach at Lewis and Clark College uh, with Jim Tersey. 
and this is this really does blow my mind. A student athlete right now could go to a Division three program in Southwest Portland, just a few miles from Providence Park, and get that good of an education because it's a very good school. Well, at the same time, playing for for you and Jim, who's in two Hall of Fames, he's in the Hall of Fame at Willamette University for coaching, um, as well as the all time men's leading scorer still at the University of Portland. Uh, how is that experience for a student athlete different than someone chasing the game at the Division one level? Um, and it's not lost on me that you're still in the game coaching, just, you know, within even a shorter distance from the college campus you would have attended in 1987 if you didn't, you know, head out to see Clive. Or you did attend it, but, like, it's just a, it's a very full circle moment. But I'm I'm just curious, you know, how that experience is for your student athletes, um, most specifically. Uh, I hope I hope it's a good experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, no, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's a different um, – it's a different environment. Um, these are kids that, you know, like, and there is some players in my mind that could play division one, mm-hmm. you know, but as we talked about earlier, the, you know, the top of the pyramid is very, very small. And so we've got players who their education is, is the number one thing, you know, and, you know, sometimes they're two, two sport athletes, you know, um, like we, we've got girls running, on the girls' side, um, we got girls running track and track and field. We had some playing tennis. We have some playing softball. Um, and then, you know, study abroad is a big thing up at Lewis and Clark. So, you know, we have them for a short time during the season. You know, the season's short, as you know. And uh, then in the spring, we, 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 we don't see half the team because they're doing other things. So when you can be – you want to do – work on certain things and maybe some of your top, like one of our top players is softball player and she's one of the top softball players. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, the education is huge for these, for these kids. And, and, and as I said, some could play division one in my mind, you know, in my mind, we've got some very good players, you know, and, and now we have a men's program too. And some of those guys, um, you know, will do, two sports, mm-hmm. you know, um, so they may not because it's a young program. So we we're basically a team of, um, freshmen and sophomores and, uh, I think some juniors. So, um, and these guys, you know, I mean, we took our lumps all year long, but they stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. And we improved as a year. It's going to take a, the men's program another two or three years, maybe longer, to get where we want them to be. But you know, these kids um, are enjoying it. You know, they're working hard, and, and and they're seeing the progress that's being made. The girls, the girls is you know the same with the girls. You know, um, we're just looking to bring in you know hopefully another good recruiting year, both men and women, and then we'll you know we'll keep getting better and pushing the teams that are more established especially on the men's side. It's a, um, it's certainly a different experience uh, or a different way to participate in one's life at the D3 level, um, which I really appreciate about that. having gone to Pacific uh, as you've just outlined, but what, what's yeah. sort of really hitting me right now is, and I forgot to mention this since it's my fault that you and Jim brought back a men's program, which until not long ago, until you brought it back, just was it this year, your first year of full competition? Yeah. 
Yeah, this was our first year of food competition, yeah. Yeah, and so that's more opportunities to play. And 35 years after you went out to the University of Portland and, you know, walked out and started talking to Clive, here you yeah. are building another program um, and giving more opportunities to players. Well, my, my, go ahead. To be selfish, it's close to it's close to my house, so... Um, <laughs> The commute's easy here, okay. The commute, the commute is easy, and mm -hmm. uh, I told Jim, I don't want all I want to do is coach. Yeah. <laughs> no, no emails, no computer work. <laughs> well, he's still he's still getting the better end of the deal there. Yeah. Well, no, he's he, Jim's great to work for. You know, um, we get along great. I've known Jim a long, long time. So, you know, um, he said he he used to see me walking up with that my exercise now is limited to walks and I walk by there every day and through the campus every day. So he says, come and help. And I went, okay. Yeah. yeah so, so it keeps, so, it keeps me, keeps me active and, yeah. and I enjoy every minute of it. That's great. So my last thing is, is sort of, uh, I don't know if it's much of a question, but you know, my son just turned 11 and, and I was thinking about that as I was writing these questions, you just, do you ever look back to 11-year-old would-be electrician apprentice Bill Irwin and think about the journey that's happened since, all the people and places you've played or come in contact with, um, the people you've played in front of, the players you've seen develop into their own careers, and many of whom are you know, doing exactly what you did in the, in the game, building it as coaches, as administrators? Um, and, and just do you ever like take a moment to think about that? And is, is that even something someone can process? Um. Well, I, I, I've, as I said, I've been sort of in the right place at the right time. I remember um, when Clive was with Steve Sampson with the men's team. I got a call from Clive. He says, where are you? And I says, well, I'm in San Diego recruiting. He says, okay, get on the next plane home, and uh, there'll be a ticket for you tonight to fly to Orlando. We need you to come in with the, the men's team. And the, the, it was a combination camp of the men's full team and the Olympic team. He says, we need you to work with the goalkeepers. So I ended up getting there in there. And that first morning, I went out on the field and I just stood there, looked around and said, oh, not bad. You've done OK. What are you doing here? You know what I mean? Oh, you know, so, some little guy from a little village in Northern Ireland and here you are, you know, you've got the men's national team and the Olympic team to work with. So, that, you know, and, and as I said, I, oops, I got I got the opportunity, you know, to, to, to coach a lot of the national teams, you know, um, with, you know, the, the, I was on the 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, went to the 21 World Cup, the U20 World Cup in Argentina, you know, so, and, and, um, and then obviously it was with Greg Ryan. He brought me in with the women's team, the full team, a couple of times. And then I, he gave me the 2023s. 20, it started off at the 2020 or 21. So, you know, I, I, I suppose it's a bit of hard work and a bit of luck to get there. And, you know, and, you know, as we always said, nothing works without the work, you know, you just got to keep working and, and, you know, and, you just want to leave it, everybody and everything a little better than when you find it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's been my goal is to leave everything a little better. And, you know, if I make one player 
a little better, I've I've succeeded. You know, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, and um, I wouldn't change it. I'm glad that the little kid that dreamt of being a professional footballer got there. You know, left the world of an apprentice electrician, which I didn't like, hmm. and uh, you know, made a good, good, met a lot of great people along the way, yourself included, and and um, all the people involved in soccer, and you know, all all the old timbers that you've interviewed, and uh, you know, and unfortunately, you know, as we know, some of them aren't around that I wish were around, like Jimmy Conway and stuff like that. I know you. He had no lean on, but it would have been great to listen to Jimmy, you know. And so all those people that have stayed in this area to help make the Portland Timbers the organization they are today. And I think without those guys, I, I don't know if there would be a Timbers. Or Thorns. Or, yeah, thank you, Bill. Thank you. Or Thorns. But I, you know... Um, you know, I, I just want to thank you for all you do to keep the game of soccer and, and alive here in the Portland area. Yeah, thanks. I, you do a good job, and I got that. I got an email from you this morning uh -huh. with about Clive. That big, a, a whole article which I yeah. haven't finished reading yet. So I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. Oh, thanks. It's a it's a long one, uh, but it's it's why it's in three parts. Hopefully. Okay. So all right. Yeah. Well, but thanks no, so much, Bill. You're welcome, Billy. And, and uh, you'll keep it going because it it, it, it it lets a lot of these people who are Timber supporters, hopefully that are listening, know a little bit about the ones who have come before the MLS. And that they, that your Mick Hovens, your Willie Andersons, your Chris Dangerfields, your Bernie Fagans, John Bain, Jimmy Kelly's of all stayed in the area have, have a you know, done a huge amount of work to, to keep the Timbers here and hopefully the, you know, the success they've had in the past will continue again. I know it wasn't a good year this year, it didn't make it, but, you know, they'll get there, they'll get back. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bill. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right. Okay. All right. You ain't got to be 200 pounds, a giant at 7-3. To play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly. You can hear it on the radio, you will see it on TV. But when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's be all of the boys. Cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here.